Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, we have back on the show a lit manager and producer who got a start at William Morris and UTA before joining the Hollywood gang at Warner's as a development exec, and then launched his own shingle, Management SGC. He's also one of the nicest and smartest dudes in the biz, a genuine tribute to his Canadian heritage, Mr. Scott Carr. Always a pleasure having you on, Scott. I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. Um, now, today we're doing things a little bit differently. I thought it would be really great to go in-depth and get really into the nitty-gritty of the manager-client relationship, that dynamic, how it starts, how it works, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So our goal today is to do just that. And uh, so I guess we can just sort of start off with when should a, a writer first start exploring getting a manager? What sort of signs are there that they are ready for representation? That's a good question. Honestly, very seminal one when it comes to mm-hmm. a writer kind of putting themselves out there, trying to monetize and just take their screenwriting career seriously. Um, I think some, you know, this is all very subjective but among managers. Like I personally think that um, people should look at their manager as someone who, even though they might be very developmental, with writers and wanting to like, you know, help them support them through their craft. I know that, um, that I myself do that with writers. I think writers, when they kind of cracked into a story that they're extremely passionate about, be it something they think is commercial or something very personal to themselves, they should make sure that they've probably not only done several drafts on the script, but also tried to get a lot of feedback, feedback on the script, even if it's from, you know, friends or family or people that they went to school with or maybe submitting it into some contests if if they're really about trying to make sure the script is protected for um for like going to you know the major market versus getting you know it kind of like time stamps in a contest they could always maybe go in under a pseudonym or a different title just to kind of use as a litmus test they can also have um you know script consultants, whatever it is, I think people should look at their manager as someone that is an industry professional mm-hmm. who's going to help facilitate their career. And they really want to lead with their best foot forward so that they can get the most traction with managers and make the most impression. They don't, they don't have to think of them like producers or agents per se, but they shouldn't you know, finish their first script, their first draft, feel like they they got it, and then immediately start querying people in the industry because they might end up burning some bridges or they might end up getting bites at the apple that um that that don't actually go over as well as they would have hoped because the script wasn't strong enough then they can't really reopen that door because they've exposed themselves that way. So whatever a writer's process is to get to a point where it's not just kind of this intellectual appreciation of their of their work, but they've actually on every fiber of their being, they really truly feel that they've developed their craft and they feel very strongly about the way that they're telling the story. I think, you know, that's going to set them up to win. It might take, you know, a little bit longer, but that's okay. Because another thing I think is good for writers is to come into the process with a little bit more life experience. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people graduate right out of college or film school and they write their first script and they right away want to kind of jump into the throes of the movie industry. But I think some of the best writers are the ones that mature over time 
and they start to develop some experience about life that informs their writing and authenticates it more and feels it more like the voice is more matured. It's kind of like a, a bodybuilder developing muscle maturity over time. It just starts to look and feel different and come more easily. So I would encourage writers, you know, to also make sure that they're, um, that they're living their life while they're writing. Don't just spend their time in front of a, in front of a computer trying to craft imaginary stories in their imagination all day and put it on paper. Like, get out there living life, reading books, doing whatever they can to really kind of build out their ex- empirical knowledge as well as their education. Mm-hmm. And I think from an educational standpoint, if someone's truly serious about it, yes, you guess you, there's much things about the craft that can be self-taught, but I do think there is value in at least doing your due diligence with, you know, going online or reading some books or at the very least reading a, a high volume of screenplays to get a strong sense of what the industry standard looks like, not just in formatting, but in terms of quality. And then, of course, if they're really serious about it and they want to get a continued education beyond, you know, that, they should, you know, go to a film school or to an accredited screenwriting class, UCLA or whatnot, and just go through the process with an educator. And, um, and, you know, I find that there is something to be said about that because one thing managers typically don't do is they're not screenwriting teachers. Right. And um, so we'd like someone to at least done their own due diligence when it comes to as much of their education as possible. And um, I think as people read more screenplays, they start to get a sense of the importance of um, the voice that's put on the page and how distinguishable that is and, you know, and, and the, the originality of that. And then as they develop their own material, get a strong sense of their own personal voice. How can they start to feel like when they read material, they get feedback on material. It starts to sound like, like it exists in its own, you know, literary larynx. And it's not really just kind of something that feels like they've read before or something that feels similar to other material out there. The best way to, the best way to stand out is make sure that you're not just fitting in. Um, so, you know, that takes time, I think, just working out on the page and finding the way in which you conform your language and your cinematic lexicon and getting a real strong sense of using those words as your tools and having them imbue the sense of tone. And I think that's something that, you know, takes a little bit of time, screenplay from screenplay, to really start to hone and see the commonalities of what makes it truly that writer's own distinct um, expression. Right. Um, I, th- I think those are some of the some of the key things I think people can look at when they feel they might want to go out there and start soliciting or or going after managers in some capacity. Um, and because managers are also going to be work on quality control, mm-hmm. and if they if they if they value the reputation of their own business as well as that of their clients, so the quality of the work is going to be critical. Um, and so I think a great deal of due diligence can be done on the writer's behalf before they even put it into the writer's, uh, into the manager's inbox. Right. Um, and I said the last thing is just knowing what kind of movies or television shows that you want to write, knowing the genre very well, the comps very well, the people that make those movies and write those movies very well. So you've got a strong understanding of the tropes and, kind of how the genre works so that you, if you choose to, you know, go along with it or break the rules in it or whatever it is your approach is that you've done, you've got your education there. Um, because if you're trying to you know, monetize yourself as a screenwriter, you have to be writing material that is producible, be it like 
viable, commercial, or highly distinct, or controversial, whatever really kind of zeitgeisty, whatever really catches the interest of the market and the audiences, it's a very expensive endeavor, the transposition from page to screen. So there has to be something unique and special or broadly appealing about the material that they're writing and the ideas that they're generating. So they've got to have a pretty good understanding of how the industry is currently working and, you know, fitting their voice into it in a way in which they can be sustainable mm-hmm. um, and, and carve out their own opportunities as a result of the, the quality of their work and the viability of it. Right. And in your answer, I've come up with a myriad of other questions, um, one of which is uh, you had mentioned reading a lot of screenplays, which is, uh, I, again, I agree. It's something incredibly valuable. If you want to write screenplays, you should be well-versed, have read a lot of the best. Now, obviously, reading scripts uh, from established professionals in the genre that you want to write in, i.e. you you want to be a horror writer, read some horror scripts, some really good horror scripts. Um, But what do you think are a few of the sort of seminal must-reads that sort of transcends genre? Like, what are a few scripts that you would say to a beginning writer who may still be finding their voice, not know exactly what genre they want to go, but, you know, just is something that every screenwriter should read, you know, the Citizen Kane of scripts, so to speak. So that's a really good question, actually. Like, I, I, I think it's important because the industry is, I think it's important you're reading material that's relevant to the industry, like mm-hmm. some of the touch points that people are actually still referencing today. Like, you can say you read Citizen, you know, I know you're just an example, but like, right. that doesn't, you want something that when that people have read in their tenure while (laughs) working in Hollywood. So I think you have to be current. That might not mean you have to get your hands on a development spec that just sold. That might be hard to access in that type of industry. But if you hear about something selling and getting made, should read that at the script point. So you can maybe understand and break down what was it about that screenplay and the way that it showed up on the page that led to that sale, led to that attachment, led to that interest at that studio, and you know, and and you know, start to develop that that analysis of what that is. Like I think, like within certain genres, off the top of my head, I think uh, just to put to answer your question more specifically, I think like in sci-fi, which is a genre that I I very much am passionate about and have a lot of business in, mm-hmm. I think kind of a go-to screenplay is um, John Spade's Passengers. Mm. People still talk about that script from about 2000, even before I worked in the industry, but I read it once I started the agency in 2008. And it's, it's, it's finally getting made now. It's been greenlit by Sony with Jen Lawrence and Chris Pratt. Um, but it, it was on the shelf, or it was kind of tied up in, in other forms of development for many years, but people right. still talk about that script. Some scripts, I, you know, I think people talk about Looper still, Ryan Johnson's script from a few years ago that got made. Ironically enough, it is a script that went around and none of the studios really wanted to make, but so it got made independently. Mm-hmm. And then and it ended up being successful. But so I think in hindsight, people kind of look at that as, as kind of a, a screenplay and thus a movie that, you know, ended up being, you know, more unique within that genre. It's often used as a comp. Um, right. I'm trying to think of some in that genre... Uh, source code is a script I think that a lot of people still think has got some special qualities to it because it's kind of so masterfully executed within a big idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard to do, having a big idea that's fresh as well as having strong, clever execution with the characters and the storytelling. I think in the action space, people still talk a lot about Safe House. Right. It kind of like reinvigorated that grounded spy thriller from an original standpoint um, mm-hmm. outside of all of the more franchises that we've been seeing in that 
in that space, be it Bond and Mission Impossible and whatnot. So it was nice to see something kind of get out there that got people excited about it. Um, I think uh, most recently Section 6 kind of did that. And these are things that I think are getting a little bit on the sales level and not always necessarily going to represent, you know, what everyone should be writing per se, but these are things that, these are scripts that got the industry excited, and I do think there's quality on the page. Otherwise, I wouldn't recommend them. I think they just be kind of a flash in the pan money grab. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there was a lot. There's a really clean, fresh, high concept idea there with some with some with some smart execution, interesting character work along the way. I think um, I have clients. I think that have, have written scripts that I think people should be aware of, not to self promote, but I think. Uh, I think Jonathan Stokes wrote this great script called Blood Mountain. I think a lot of people still talk about when it comes to its it's just its character work and its thematic resonance and the quality of its voice. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that people can still look at and learn a lot from. I think kind of within the drama space, it's a script called St. Vincent by Ted Melfi that I think has really, you know, reminded people about what, uh, you know, a, a comedic drama with a lot of heart can look like on the page. Um, kind of maybe in a John Hughes and Richard Curtis esque capacity. Five Hundred Days of Summer, I think, is another one that still gets a lot of play just because it really was this unique way into a romantic comedy, kind of like an anti-romantic comedy, mm-hmm. um, told with a really smart, um, voicey approach on the page. Um, God. Yeah, I think Chronicle still gets people thinking about how they can kind of do that. Yeah. More so because it's got that big idea, but not the expensive idea. So it can serve a marketing campaign, but not, but not, um, you know, drain, you know, the studio's production coffers. So I think that's one. Um, yeah, I think that's like a, a, you know, a handful of ones that just kind of come to mind that, you know, I think people still talk about and I recommend writers be familiar with just to, you know, get a sense of what's got people excited in the last, you know, five or six years. Another script, L.A. Rex is a script I still recommend to people by Will Beale who wrote um, Gangster Squad and Justice League. He's a former detective who wrote this, he both wrote this on his book that he wrote and it's just a kick-ass um, cop movie with this, you should read this thing, it just, it just hits you in the throat with how viscerally it's told. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great example of what, a, what an authentic voice in some of these very experience and learned in that space can do in a more of a cinematic medium. So there's a handful of ideas I'd put out there. Cool. Um, some good stuff in there. Um, now I, I wanted to touch base also because you had mentioned um, in terms of, uh, and we hear it a lot. Oh, I finished my first screenplay. Where can I go to sell it? That kind of stuff. Now we also hear different answers in terms of the, the sort of, question of how many screenplays should a writer have before they're considered repable and i've heard everything from the only thing that matters is you have one great one to they want to see multiples because they want to see that you are uh and you know an active writer who didn't just write one thing now obviously completing your very first script ever it's probably not going to be at the level that it should be at. That's just a, a broad statement. But generally speaking, if it's your first completed screenplay, that you you would shouldn't necessarily rush out and try to get a manager because you're probably not at the point in your writing career, your your craft, where you are working at the professional level. 
just a guess, but that's generally the case. Uh Um, Uh That being said, uh, a number of writers have one great script, even if they've written a bunch of other things that either didn't get finished or are finished but not very good, but having one great script. How many pieces of material that are truly great as a manager do you like to see a client come to you with? Hmm. Yeah, like, so what's interesting about that question is I think the go-to answer and something that I actually prescribe to is that you don't want to start exposing your first piece of material just because, one, maybe you do need to work on your craft more, even though it is entirely possible that someone's first script is a really strong effort. Because the next question will inevitably be, what else do you have or what other ideas are you right. generating? And mm-hmm. If someone says nothing, then it, they, we question, you know, whether they're a fluke or whether they're serious about this. Mm-hmm. So as a general rule, I think if you hit fade out on a script that you're really excited about, you should at least develop some other strong ideas and treatment form. If not, just write those screenplays as well, or at least one of them, so that you can then further, you know, vet your own craft with yourself and become objective and self-critical because that is part of the notes process and the development process is just knowing how to be your own, your own producer and knowing kind of what to put on the page and what to remove from the page once you've already written it and what to reconceive. Um, you know, but I actually, you know, it's probably not the best anecdote to tell if I'm encouraging people to, to write more than one story or come up with an idea. Cause I do in fact represent a writer who had queried me off a, off a screenplay he'd written, which I thought had um, some excellent talent in it. And I could tell where, where, where the, where the problems in the script were, which we worked on. And it was, you know, it, and he, that was in fact the very first thing he had ever written in his life. Mm. I did not know that when I read it. <laughs> right. It felt it felt like it was a lot more development to the voice than um, than just being the first screenplay. It wasn't until I started speaking with him thereafter that I kind of discovered that. And for me, that became kind of a that became like the interesting selling point to it. It's just like this is kind of like a natural you know intrinsic talent to this writer. But of course, there were people who when I shared that script with when I was taking it out for representation when they asked what else he had. And I said, this is the first thing he wrote. They were apprehensive to kind of move forward with maybe taking him on because they just didn't know if there was something else there. It's this old saying that everyone has one great story in them, but few people have two. Right. So, so I get that. And even me who had signed him more off that screenplay and kind of went for the one of the first times really on true faith that there will be something else. Um, his next piece of material that he wrote while a client was as good, if not better than the script that I signed him off of. So I knew, all right, this wasn't a fluke, okay? right. but, but I didn't know. Um, so that was just a little bit more of, a, of an experimental process for me, which I don't think is a good business model for most people and the best mindset for most writers, even though there are exceptions to every rule. So I would say having at least another screenplay to back it up when you go out to reps is good so that if you do catch interest, they feel that they're going to be able to not necessarily have to develop you for another six months to a year. I personally try not to expose material when there's literally nothing else to back it up because I know the inevitable next question will be if they like it or they can't get it themselves, what else do they have? And then we lose momentum Mm -hmm. because they have to stop and go down there if that person that person's putting all their eggs in the basket, they're going to get hired 
to write something, which is, you know, a pretty, you know, tenuous place to put your career when you're kind of having to tell yourself as a, as a content generating writer, which is the case today. Content generators are the ones that really do excite people the most. Right. Um, so, um, so I would think at least having two, and then the process in which you get to that one or two that you feel are, are worthy of other people's eyes on a professional level, that that's going to be, have to be the process of the writer through their feedback and reading other scripts and maybe doing a side-by-side comparison saying, objectively speaking, is my script as good as this script or close enough to it to serve my career? Because the thing about the industry is that the bar gets reset every time a piece of material comes out that's exceptional. It depends on the level at which you want to play at, because there are tiers in the system, of course, but I don't know anyone who comes to Hollywood saying that they want to write straight to DVD, you know, <laughs> movies for WWE wrestlers. Right. Some people might end up might end up there. It's a good living. But if you come to town saying you want to write movies for the movie theater or you want to get jobs at studios, you want to work with top filmmakers or would get staffed on top shows, you better be reading the scripts of those shows and knowing the level at which you have to accomplish on the page yourself. Right. And then you can just look at your own material and step back from it after a week or two and just ask yourself, is it there? Is it strong enough? And if it's not, keep writing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in there if you're committed to it. Just takes some time, maybe a little bit more education, a little bit more patience, but it will happen. Just don't, I think being, I think coming in too late is, it, coming in too early is more detrimental than coming in too late. Absolutely. I'm not talking about age or anything. I'm talking about abilities. You're right. Um, Absolutely. You know, so, you know, you want to come in with a greater sense of maturity than um, than immaturity when it comes to your craft. Mm-hmm. Now, other than having a, a one or two or more pieces of really fantastic material, what are the other sort of criteria or qualities you look for in a potential client? How can a client stand out? What are the things that make them appealing as a client, a potential client? Hmm. Well, yeah, I work with writers and directors, and I'm actually finding in this day and age that the criteria for both of them are getting more and more similar because the directors obviously being leaders and communicators and decision makers and problem solvers, they have to be articulate and they have to be, um, they have to be able to handle themselves in social situations very well and they have to be quick thinkers and they can't really get nervous under pressure. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's the kind of, and that's a lot of the, the strongest filmmakers are the ones that really do own that space and understand that and encapsulate that. But I find writers more so than ever have to also be functional on a similar level, just because so much of what we do is salesmanship and going after jobs and pitching and servicing notes and handling yourself well in a room and building relationships and making strong impressions in the competitive industry. So when I, if, if someone is, you know, other than the quality of their writing and the viability of their ideas and the strength of their execution mm-hmm. on the page and the colloquialism of their dialogue and all those elements of craft that I think, you know, anybody with taste would require um, from a client, I think having um, a strong, you know, a strong sense of how to articulate themselves, not just on the page, but in communication, like just in a one-on-one situation or maybe in a group or room dynamic. They don't have to be like necessarily public speakers and have to go up on the stage and, you know, talk to large groups of people. That's not as common in the craft, but at least feeling like they can sit down with a room full of people, um, give and receive information 
and and kind of navigate that system in an intellectual, if not political capacity, will become important. And it's not just a creative and an emotional one. I find that that sometimes takes a little bit of coaching and a little bit of practice, and people get better with it over time. But I can usually tell when I sit with someone for the first couple of times, um, just in the way you ask certain questions or the way you watch them communicate, if they are mindful of what they're saying and if they're truly listening to what the other person is saying. Mm-hmm. How, people, how people listen in this industry is just as important as how people talk or what people say, especially for writers who are going to be receiving once right. they've written something and they go out there into the collaborative capacity or industry. They're going to be receiving information, hopefully from very smart people that are being added to the process. They have to hear what those people are saying, and they then have to kind of determine the essence of what they're saying such that they can create something that serves what these people are asking for, but maybe in a more unexpected, surprising, satisfying, or subversive way. And that, that's going to be their listening abilities um, and working with, and because as a manager, a manager I look is kind of like, I mean, there's a lot of coaching capacity to it, um, just because there's a lot of dynamics to this industry, television, film, you know, otherwise where not, not all situations are going to be created equal, that they're going to, you know, be valued from, they're going to value from like, you know, preparation and postmortems from their manager and then really assessing the reality of these situations so they can, you know, learn from those situations. And that's a coaching dynamic. And, you know, some people, you know, have a harder time accepting their role as an athlete wanting or needing to be coached. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes there's just a, a certain mindset about it that makes it, less appealing to them. They're more looking for someone to facilitate and to service, but not necessarily bring wisdom to the process. There's a certain humility to that that's required among, um, among clients. So like, I, I also look for like, how open are they to that? Because I right. believe that that's a value that I can provide. Um, just what I feel, you know, feel having a fair amount of experience, having been in a number of situations, and um, just having, I think, some natural instincts for having to read people and read situations. Um, there's just, you know, sometimes it's just simply is like saying, listening and then following instructions as well. Sometimes it can be that simple. Um, and, you know, so I think that's also something that I think is valuable is, is, for, uh, is for people to just, you know, see the, um, just seeing how the, the merits and what that can look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so other criteria for a potential client or someone I'm working with. Um, I, I think, I mean, for me, like ambition and, and you know, having a genuine desire to, you know, want to climb to the top of the proverbial ladder mm-hmm. is something that I look for. Like, I want people that really feel like as they looked at the industry and kind of were inspired by or idolized by certain people, what's stopping them from becoming someone on that level such that they empower and inspire others that are trying to climb that ladder as well to get mm-hmm. to that top, to, you know, to make sure that they're, that they're shooting for the highest star. Um, right. So I like that level of confidence and bravado while still grounding that in the reality of how to make that actionable. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of building out that, you know, career vision board and believing they're worthy of it is something that I'm excited about in clients. And then, you know, of course, a work ethic. Like, 
you know, and the dynamics of the way that most managers work with their clients and most representatives in general is that we only get out a small portion of what the client ultimately earns. And that means that you have to work, everyone's working very, very hard to kind of earn their keep. Right. Um, and I'll work, you know, I'll roll my sleeves up and do work just as hard as I can with someone that I believe in and I feel talented and appreciated and is going to do the work. So, um, you know, just continuing to assert the process and trust that it, it you know, it, it might not happen overnight and that it's an iter- it's an iterative process when it comes to creating content in Hollywood and to know that it might not always happen on the first draft, the second draft, the third draft, I don't know, the tenth, the twentieth draft. I've done it might sound excessive, but I've done twenty five drafts wow. with clients before before we even took it out to the major market. And that material is sold. Now could it have sold at ten? Maybe, but my instincts told me it wouldn't, and I can't go back in time and change that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all we all we get to trust is, you know, that level of standard and getting to it. And um, the ones that really want it, I, I think they just value that, um, that quality control and that, that um, how sedulous you can be about that process. Not redundantly, not for the sake of just holding someone back. It's absolutely not. I only get paid when they get paid. So I want to go to market as quickly as humanly possible as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to go to market too soon and then get nothing. And right. then all that work, even if it's just a week, a month or whatever, is a waste or it's waste is as greater capacity to be a waste. Mm-hmm. In terms of like actually having that person put food on their table and make them feel like they can go home and say they're a paid screenwriter. Right. Um, if that if that's the goal, if that's what they're shooting for with that material. So um, so that work ethic and that patience um, are also something that I value in in clients and trusting representation along the way and you know having an an open form of communication such that. You know, I can hear any concerns that they have or grievances they may have about the industry, about their reps, about myself. It's got to be a safe forum to treat the relationship kind of like, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, a proverbial marriage. It's mm-hmm. going to have its those moments. And that just requires that kind of connection eventually. But there are certain adjectives and certain, you know, ways of being, I think, that need to be present from the outset to feel there's a compatibility there, some of which I just talked about. Right. No, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Okay. Now, let's assume uh, a writer has come to you who's written a couple, two, three, or whatever pieces of really great material. You've met them. You like them. They're personable. They're great in a room. They're ambitious. They have all those qualities you're looking for, and you decide to take a chance and sign them. Now, mm-hmm. the next step. What are what's what's the next step? What are the sort of the first things that you sort of discuss about the career? What do you what what planning goes into it before you send them out to the world, start submitting the material, sending them on meet and greets, and all that kind of stuff? What what's that process like? Okay. Yeah, I think the first. The healthiest first step in the professional relationship is getting a getting a strong sense of what the um, you know that metaphorical destination would be. I think a good metaphor is if I'm trying to go anywhere in this world, if I'm trying to get to San Francisco, for example, you know I don't know what direction to turn unless I just surf. I'm trying to get to San Francisco. I can't mm-hmm. literally turn right or left. So we have to get a sense of what the destination is, so that as we assess all the material and all the relationships they build from the outset, is it pointing them towards what we sense to be that destination, those kind of relationships, that kind of material creating, that kind of outcome, that kind of 
financial level with those kinds of people. So it's just really more of a conversation of like where you see yourself, you know, in 10 years, 15 years, build that out. It's a very, you know, ambitious conversational way. It's not fact. It's not like you're, you know, you're, you're, you're putting your children's lives on the line. If you're not, it it will accomplish this, but, and it might change over time as you start to realize the, the reality and logistics of the business and that vision might start to change or to recalibrate. But for now, let's get a sense of that. That really helps me get a sense of how I can serve their vision for their life and their career. Mm-hmm. And once I've got a sense of that from just usually just one conversation, 10, 15, 20 minutes, it's not, it's not nothing too crazy. And then we can go back to the outset, that first piece of material, be it what they submitted to me, be it something new, and really kind of talk about with where they're at, what kind of feels like it's maybe a microcosm of getting there and, 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 and trying to connect these dots a little bit more tactically and not just kind of throwing caution to the wind and see what material lands you where. Like have, you know, make it, a, make it a process. Trust that you can actually, you know, manifest your own destiny that way and then just trust the results and see where it goes. And I think that will also then especially with representatives who, you know, have relationships, understand what people are looking for, get a sense of people's taste at different production companies and studios and filmmakers, they can kind of better tailor material mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, suits relationships that would lead to that result. As long as it's aligned with the natural sensibility of that writer, for example, um, it just feels like you're, you're building something a little bit more specific that you're going to have a place where you feel comfortable and confident exposing it. It's not just like trying to create something for everybody. You're trying to create something special for somebody. Um, and then just trying to create more of a, you know, more of a specific result um, that covers your bases wide enough to make sure you can exploit it and, 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 get enough people reading you and asserting the quality of your voice and meeting various people generally, which often starts off somewhat quant, quant, in, a, quant in a quantity capacity, mm-hmm. but the qualification of those relationships are what's really going to move the needle for them. So they better be creating quality material that, you know, a handful of those people are really going to latch onto because even if you do your 50 person water tour, you're really only going to probably start working with, a couple of them in the first year it's just a function of time right you know you can't be working with that many people so you might as well target the people you really want to work with have your reps help advise you on how to figure out how to get into business with those people um and um i think you know that is entirely possible um so and then we're working with clients within the dynamics of that then it becomes you know usually a development process early on with being just a one-on-one with the client. It depends on like how, how they write or what their process is. I allow them to dictate if they want to break an idea from a log line and build it out with me from synopsis to treatment, to first act, to screenplay, to notes throughout, by all means. Some of them just want to vet an idea and, and then send me a draft. Some don't even want to tell me what it is and let me see it after. And that's fine as well. Like it, it's a little bit scarier for them because if it's not something that ultimately works on a conceptual level or it's saturated or whatnot, it could be some wasted effort. There can be an efficiency to the process. Um, but some people also just prefer to really have that 
that that unabated, um, unfettered, you know, creative access to nothing but their own instincts and their own spirit. Whatever, whatever floats their boat. I don't really, I don't have this rigorous dictated process about how I have to work. Um, as long as they're creating quality content through our process, then I'm happy. And usually that makes them happier. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, I think that's probably the, probably the earlier stages of kind of what it looks like in the development. And then once they have material that's ready, um, the dynamics and how that works with a manager usually functions having to get them um, an agent. You know, agents, you know, are integral in the sales and procurement of employment process. So targeting those people based on the sensibility of the screenplay and the personality of the client, trying to find the right fit with the agent, not necessarily just the agency. Like people should be signing with people, not with organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then if that comes to fruition, then it's working with them to create the strategy on the best way to expose the material, be it kind of blasting it out there because it's a voice you want a lot of people to read and you want to make sure they can kind of build that experience going across those myriad general meetings. Sometimes the piece of material that's a little bit more niche or special that you don't want to blast out there and kind of treat like the spec of the week and you want to try to build it together more specifically or more over time, making sure it it is protected and kind of can be exposed in a major way, like the sale with the attachments that already happened. And that's the first time people hear of it versus it dropping on a tracking board that this log line is out there in the world. Right. Um, all that kind of just depends upon, you know, the material and the strategy that's, you know, developed based on those circumstances. Um, yeah. So I think those are kind of like some of the overarching dynamics of what, how, how managers in general, I guess how, you know, at least me more specifically can work with a client with their material, speaking more towards writers, directors, a little bit different. Um, because if they don't write, they have to be brought content or they have to generate an idea and they have to develop it with a writer or they have to develop it as a pitch and a lookbook and a proof of concept. And then we have to figure out the most efficacious and tactical way to expose that to the market with the right timing, Mm -hmm. with the right relationships that gives it the traction it needs to seem like it's got that progress or production feel to it because a director at that, when director's involved, it feels like you should be moving more towards that and not just kind of staying in the early stages of development, especially if the director's not a writer. Um, so yeah, so like, you know, that's just a long, a long process with a lot of minutia and nuance that's hard to specify here, but those are some of the overarching dynamics of the relationships. Yeah. Now you, you'd mentioned, um, agents and their part of the sales process, um, at what point in the career process do you feel that an agent um, and or attorney are necessary? Um, and what is the sort of working relationship, the dynamic between client, manager, agent, and attorney, and, and how do they all sort of work together? Um, you know, what are the roles that each person takes and what sort of communication goes on between everybody? Uh, of course. Yeah. That's an important state in a, in a writer, in a writer or filmmaker's career when they get to that point where they're assembling their team. Um, you know, it's not, not, so they don't feel like it's kind of them versus the world anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for me, I find that, you know, that usually, like in all cases, I was always in a client's life before an agent and then helped facilitate the relationship with the agent. I think that's probably the most common route because agents are there to primarily sell material or to help get clients hired for jobs. And that mm-hmm. means that they have to have material that can be developed to a certain level. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say a client can't do that without without a manager and then get an agent. It's just I find the access to the agencies is often, you know, facilitated through the managers or through executives that have been working with the with the writers um, and how to and they often get them the manager first. I usually if I if I'm working with a client, my goal is to get them to a place where I feel like we can get them an agent. That's where I feel kind of is the next rung on that developmental ladder and that's born of a, a very specific piece of material, if not two pieces of material that I feel like is another one I can back up the credibility of the writer's work um, in case the, the, the agent were to really feel like he'd want to have some, some insurance on how to expose this client or whether to sign them. Uh, and then um, that's just a submission process to the agents. Um, the people that I always go to people that I either know extremely well that worked with in the past or maybe someone I know with an excellent reputation that I'd like to have business with and maybe I've only met more informally. I can try to forge a stronger relationship through, through a specific piece of material. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the dynamics of working with an agent, you know, are, are really about making sure that that material goes to the market in the most flattering capacity to serve the client. I think in an ideal situation, it's with an eye towards selling the material. That's not always the case. It's not sometimes material should go to market, even though it probably won't sell as is, but there's still value in getting the, the writer's voice out there for other opportunities. But ideally, if the person's right, spent months, if not longer, working on the script, they'd love to get paid for it. So sure. if that's the goal and we feel there is some road to monetization there, um, then we would talk about like, what's the best way we could do this? Is it just taking out the naked spec and trying to leverage a competitive situation with producers and studios if it's that strong and commercial? Or is it about exposing it to the, um, the packaging department at the agency, the indie finance department, or the talent department, trying to bring in other elements, um, maybe bringing in a filmmaker? You know, that's, that's always a little bit, it's not the easiest thing to do because packaging is, you know, requiring individual agents to then kind of work with other agents, which is something that happens, but they still have to represent the best interest of their individual clients and their business. Sure. They're not doing anybody any favors reading scripts or doing or attaching people, certainly. Um, so but if you've got material, let the material kind of stand on its own merit, and then you can leverage a relationship to get the reads, and then the material will have to speak for itself. Um, but if you can do all of that, then you're going to take the product to market. You can take the material to market with the best chance, at least, of finding, you know, some interested, some interested collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as for an attorney, and of course, if that happens or that doesn't happen, then the relationships are then going to be about evaluating, you know, what's next or how can we capitalize on what we accomplish from taking this material out, if anything. And if it kind of went out and kind of did more of a fizzle than a, than a, than a pop, mm-hmm. then, you know, it's just really about hopefully having a strong enough relationship, enough trust that you, you just kind of re- hit the reset button and you, you figure out another opportunity to, you know, re-expose something down the line 
that can maybe have a stronger result or maybe just using some of the relationships that you got off that piece of material to see if you can get something going in more of a, more of a developmental capacity with other people. And then the attorneys are usually involved. The attorneys are necessary for, for, for negotiating the, um, the deals, like beyond the more salient deal points that the agents have to handle in tandem with the attorney, the long-form contracts. And that's a very integral part to making sure that the client's best interests are protected financially as well as credit and a number of other things. So, but the attorney is usually, I usually make sure people have attorneys when I've gotten, it's like agent first, we're in the process of selling something. Then we bring in an attorney right before we actually get the offer. And then the attorney works with the agents and myself to go through the process with that. And then, you know, and then they're, they're, they're needed whenever we get to a point of monetization um, with a client. And then they kind of do their extremely rigorous and, um, you know, detail oriented aspects to the deal making. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the communication to answer that question is more like, I think the agents and the managers have to be speaking quite frequently, especially sometimes in a client might have several agents. They might have a television agent, a book agent, a feature agent, a digital agent, a talent agent, a branding agent. Like it's just, they all kind of compartmentalize within the agency with the manager being kind of like the hub of communication between them all. Mm-hmm. So making sure that, you know, the right hand's talking to the left hand is, is, is something I'd, like to facilitate within with with the agents and all the great ones really know what's going on to a T within their within their department where they're responsible for and um and they they keep kind of a close ear on how they're kind of commingling with other departments come availability and you know the the branding efforts of the clients and and whatnot and then um again communication among the attorneys are often more frequently around the deals themselves or um if there's kind of like questions that need to be asked in terms of like, you know, rights issues or, you know, anything that would have to do with like a, you know, a legal component while developing a client's career. So it's usually a, certainly a series of weekly conversations, if not daily emails. Right. And that leads to a question that we get asked a lot and it gets brought up a lot. And that's the role of manager as manager, as representation, but also potentially mm-hmm. as producer uh, in terms of uh, material that their client is working on. Now, um, mm-hmm. there there's a wide range of manager producers, some of whom uh, are known for, for sort of grasping on to whatever the client puts out um, and maybe or maybe not putting that much contribution into the actual project. And then some, like you said, spending time to do 25 different drafts or getting attachments like a director and or uh, casting actors, you know, actors attachments, uh, things of that nature, fundraising, you know, getting independent financing and things like that, which obviously Mm -hmm. leads itself much more to the producing side. Um, So maybe you can describe uh, the role of manager when you're also producing, what sort of... uh, route that takes and how, if it's sort of an organic process, is that something that happens sort of naturally through the process? Like I've done so much on this, maybe you are becoming a producer or is this something that's set up from the very beginning? Hey, I need help on this. You want to produce it. Um, And then also talk, if you could sort of explain, talk a little bit about um, what that 
process is like in terms of of working on a script and helping get it made um, versus sending it out and getting a sale from you know representative standpoint. Got it. Yeah. No, that's a it's a great and I think a very important important question. I think the answer could be a political landmine because <laughs> it it's is. a very it's a very polarizing subject I think among our community. I can probably only speak to it more from my own personal philosophies and methodologies about, you know, that process of working in that capacity with clients and just what I instinctually feel is, you know, best serving the client and the project and the process. Um, I think, um, I think what's, you know, most, you know, the question I'd always ask, I think it's always worth asking is like the value add mm-hmm. as being a producer and, and, and just making sure that you've got a really, a really cogent and, and honest answer to that. Um, so that, you know, it really feels like it's this earned involvement. Um, and that could be from, you know, the, the level of development that was put into a piece of material. I think a lot of people feel like the manager's job, they're brought in just to develop, but like, you know, that some, some don't do that at all. Like it's, you know, it's, it's very hard to define and there's, you know, if, if we didn't do any development, we still have plenty to do. And sometimes development is given a produce. It is a very producerial thing by design anyway. And some managers just kind of use that saying that, you know, that they're, they're, they're going to add that to kind of the spectrum of what they do for their, their management commission. Um, and I, I do that as well. Like I develop virtually, you know, everything with all the, if necessary, sometimes materials further along, sometimes material needs a lot of work. Um, I don't really define the producerial component based on the um, development capacity because it's just part of what the, the job can be, even though it is producerial. I think it's really the quality of the relationships and the mindset on how to take this project from page to screen that is the role and responsibility of a producer. Um, and if they're not seeing it through to that way, then, you know, I personally define it in that capacity. Um, and I'm sure there's definitions out there where like you can get to the end of the development or sale and the amount of work that was done was defined as producerial and they've earned that, that title and that additional fee. And, you know, if that's the determination among the clients and the people involved doing the deals and whatnot, then, then great. As long as everyone's on the, on the same page, then, then, you know, then that, that, that I think it's totally um, legitimate. Um, so I think the value add component is important. I think um, sensibility to the material is something like I know myself personally, like, you know, I have a lot of clients that develop materials across many genres and but I don't I don't personally, you know, gravitate towards every genre on the planet. I think I, I have an understanding having been kind of a film buff and, you know, really you know, watched and seen, you know, most of what I think is relevant out there. Um so I could be helpful, you know, with advising that if they want to write something that I might necessarily feel is what I would want to make or go see. But I'm there to serve their aspirations as 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 writers and creative people. Um, so, you know, they, I think if someone's working producerally, they better believe in the project and and 
want to do the thousands and thousands of hours of hard labor such that they get into the screen and they can walk up and do that. That's really hard to do, spend that kind of time if you don't really care about it enough and creatively. And it's just kind of maybe about trying to, you know, get the credit or the paycheck. I think that might not serve the project as much. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a criteria that I, that I consider. Um, I think, um, some other elements about that dynamic. I think there's, you know, there's, you know, it's really a mindful. I think um, as a manager, I'm trying, I want to be mindful about, you know, my ultimate um, responsibility to my clients and servicing their career. And, and, and that will involve servicing individual projects, but not in, not in disservice to their careers. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's about, you know, really being mindful of any of the inherent conflict of interest that might come along right. when your when your role as a as a representative is to look out for the client's best interest, but then your role as a producer is to look at the project's best interest, mm-hmm. which means that there might need to be decisions made. I think you know that can certainly be done, but that requires, like I think, a, a really strong trust with the client or an upfront communication about the distinction between their role and when they're going to put on one hat over the other, mm-hmm. because getting the project made might be in the, will usually be in the best interest of the writer, for example, but right. they might not be the one that can get it there. Mm-hmm. And they should understand that, that, that even as a manager or a producer, they might have to facilitate the project moving forward with someone else because then you know, the financiers or whomever spending money on that project is always a good thing mm-hmm. because it means they're just trying to get, they're going to try to like recoup that investment. Um, but, you know, there can be some, some strangeness that emerges within the dynamics of the client representative relations there. Um, so, so it's something I think, you know, I'm always, always mindful of, and I usually like to have the conversation as early as possible if I'm going to be involved in that way. And I actually don't really involve myself a lot in that way, just as being a little bit more management centric at this point in, mm-hmm. in my career and feeling that that might just involve being a producerial manager by, by nature anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, as the relationships develop and as, time passes and experience is built on all fronts and relationships are improved, then, you know, stepping more into that role on a more frequent basis because all those criteria, value add, sensibility, understand the dynamics of the client are kind of all, they're all lined up and checked off and it can just be like this more tacit understanding that that's just the way it's going to work because it just feels right. It feels organic. Um, and, um, you know, but, you know, managers and produce, you know, there's, they have titles and, you know, there's lots of producers out there that aren't managers and they really value their role and their, their title as a producer. And they know the myriad things that they are going to have to do in ownership of that title. And they want anyone who tries to come in and assert this title with them to also do that work. So I think just, being mindful of the people you're getting into business with and how they value their roles and what they require of their partners and, and, and just making sure that it's a happy, it's a happy family. And if it's not, then it's probably going to get into some like 
political problems along the way that might end up really, you know, bottlenecking the creative process. Um, and then some decisions have to be made that might be, you know, in the best interest of individuals versus the project and, you know, producers or parents to that project. They're like the, the, the paternal, if the, if the director is the mother, then the producer is the father. Um, and they're going to have to really, you know, be willing to protect that child mm-hmm. from even some of the other people that came on board. And, you know, that can be a little bit harder to do when you've got multiple titles in the process as well. So I think there's a, there's a lot of factors to consider. I think some of them reveal themselves organically. I think some of them require an intellectual conversation um, along the way. Um, I think in television, there you know, there's a lot. Projects often have a tendency to have a lot more producers involved because there's non-writing producers, there's executive producers. Um, everyone in the writing room beyond story editors starts to take on a producerial role and responsibility. So I think developing material in television as a manager and understanding the dynamics of how competitive TV has become, mm-hmm. there can be additive value in, in, in serving in that capacity because there's a lot more compartmentalization and right. people kind of are able to like better segregate where they serve along the process where in film, it's kind of like a free for all at all times, try to keep this, this boulder going up the hill and TV things usually either rock moves or the rock blows up. Um, (laughs) But in film, in film, these things can like, you know, languish and crawl for years. And someone has to understand if they've got a producerial role, their job is to make sure that there's still going to be some crawl and momentum to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if, and that can be sometimes hard to do if you're taking on more titles than you should, or you're trying to, move a client on from a project that you're involved with it producerally um, just means you got to like definitely be willing to, you know, balance the, the work between overseeing clients careers, as well as trying to move projects through the various stages of development and production and whatnot. Um, yeah. So I guess I've made some of the old, overarching distinctions and ways that, you know, I personally would look at it. I'm sure there's people that have a completely contrary opinion of it. Um, or, or, or even can even more cogently articulate what it is that these distinctions, how they can be valued. But, you know, I think if anything, maybe for the sake of this discussion, writers should be mindful mm-hmm. when they're working with a manager, especially maybe in the earlier stages of their career where they don't have a lot of relationships and might not understand the dynamics of this very well. They should, they should be mindful of, of the manager, producer, coexistence between on a project just because, you know, there might be people out there that, you know, can move the needle along through the process even better with greater experience. Um, you know, there's, there's certain aspects about that process that incentivize the representative even maybe more so than the writer. It's really hard to tell. Um, but there certainly have been instances of that and we hear about those holy stories and, you know, the reputations that are garnered as a result of it. Um, and in some cases, like, those dynamics work out wonderfully, and they truly are in the best interest of the client and the project. But um, so I don't want anyone to get, like, hypersensitive or, or overly skeptical about that process, but it is, it's always worth a conversation right. and somewhat of an, of an inquisition 
where a writer can feel comfortable asking their representatives, well, I'm, you know, at first, you know, maybe they thank them for their love of the product enough to want to be involved in that way, but like, let's then talk about the producerial steps that are going to, that you're going to facilitate beyond just the development of this. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what's your, who, who are your opinions on directors? How do you have access to them? What about financiers? How do you access those? If we don't get those primary people, are you still committed to seeing this in some other iteration? You know, how, how long are you willing to put clothes on this child before you can take it to the world right. and feel comfortable with it? And then are you going to be involved beyond that process all the way through? Will it be an on-set relationship? How will you balance that in your schedule with number of clients? Like, you know, I think there's just like certain little things that you can just get a sense of. Um, I, I'm all for writers being um, empowered with information and really understanding the dynamics of the industry and their relationships with everyone that they have, I think those relationships will then become even more valuable and, and more collaborative and as a result. And um, then the writer or whomever will just feel a greater sense of confidence and just, you know, a better bullshit detector, I guess, right. um, as they kind of, you know, have to like occasionally self-navigate themselves through decisions um, which, you know, they don't want to completely, you know, turn over every major decision to other people because, you know, as human beings, we sometimes inherently have self-interest. Oh, so sure. make sure that, yeah, make sure that they're like mindful enough of their own protective instincts. Right. And if those kind of, if those kind of red line, they've got to be able to ask the hard questions or inquire with people about a scenario. And if they think it seems a little bit suspect, um, I think, you know, that's something that, you know, all clients should be should have a, a, a certain skill set and appreciation for. No, I mean, that's all great stuff that you had brought up, all the different areas to sort of keep an eye on, because it is that conflict of interest versus genuine support and those sort of developmental slash producerial interests. It toes that line in some some ways. Um, for yeah, and I think, and I, and I think even like the, the the notion of conflict of interest, everything can be you know resolved and managed through communication. Sure. Like as long as, as long as like people are talking about the process, and if they have questions or concerns or grievances or whatnot, if, if the questions are being asked and the answers are being given, mm-hmm. then you know they will find a way. Maybe the way is not working in that capacity all the time. Maybe it's about just moving forward with the clarity they they now have. You know, I think the more people are upfront about the correspondence, um, the easier it is to have it all and to Mm -hmm. be a part in all the facets of the industry that we're passionate about and we feel that we're valuable in. I don't, I'd like to believe that very few people out there are kind of saying themselves, I didn't earn this or I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. I think they, if anything, they probably feel they are. They're not projecting that image. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they just got to be mindful of that and, you know, make sure that they're, that they're protecting their own reputation as well if they're conducting themselves that way. So, you know, I've heard some great people say that a conflict of interest is merely opportunity in another form, mm. you know, and maybe there is value in that. I, I actually haven't really analyzed that term enough to probably figure out exactly how to make that actionable, but <laughs> there, there's, got, there's got to be, you know, there, I'm sure there's some truth to that. And there's ways in which, you know, you can really, you know, approach that whole process with that philosophy and make it such that the project wins or the client wins and, 
you know, there is a win-win situation, I think, in virtually any situation, any dynamic. It's just a matter of, like, intention and communication dictating that. Um, you know, so I think all that's going to be forged in over the course of time, but maybe some of it can be handled in the earlier stages of the relationship mm-hmm. and just really be both committed to imbuing the relationship with a strong sense of trust and integrity and honesty. And then from there, born of those tenants, I think, you know, it will be very difficult to have things go, you know, get destructive. Well, it's going to be a, and it's common interest to kind of find the resolution that best serves what they all want. Right. And, you know, as a representative, I always, you know, and something, you know, coming from personal training and just always knowing that the process is about the other person, you know, it's, it's the service industry. So it's really easy when you kind of own that title and you ask yourself, is this a service to the person that I'm, I have a fiduciary responsibility to survey. And if I can't like, if my answers don't organically fit into that, then, you know, it probably means that I've stepped onto more into the self-interested side of that. And, um, you know, then I'm no longer wearing a representative hat and, um, I have to make sure that the client is fully aware if that's the case in a producerial capacity, you know, otherwise I run the risk of, you know, damaging those relationships. And that's, you know, that's, that's the last thing I think any great rep is, is, is intentionally just, trying to design for their business. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'm constantly evaluating it through that filter and, um, in every situation, you know, I, I manage 100% of my clients and I produce the material of a much, much smaller percentage of right. the ones that I do work with in that capacity. Um, I'd like to think that all of them feel like it's, it's organic and it's earned and it's something that was discussed honestly, if not, they actually requested it or assumed it was the case even before it was brought up mm-hmm. because the dynamic felt like that way. And then I would just kind of break down how I'm going to have to change the hats occasionally. Um, but our relationship will, will survive it because it's in the best interest of you and the project, which can sometimes be intrinsically linked. And sometimes we have to figure out ways how to separate them. Right. Absolutely. Um, we could go on and on, but uh, we're, we're near running out of time here, but I always appreciate you coming on the show. You've always got great insights and uh, great information. I'm sure it's a huge help for our listeners. Um, um, no, my pleasure. And you be sure to follow Scott on Twitter. It's at SGCar with two R's, 82. Um, and if you have any questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening.